This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. God and heaven, and they are huge, gigantic topics. And so we are going to just scratch a little bit of the surface on these. Um, We're going to be covering, because it's topical, I am going to be jumping different places from book to book, from experience or example to example. I encourage, if you have a a way to to take notes, it could be helpful just in in following along or following up later on if, if you want to study these things about God and heaven. What is God like? What is heaven like? We've just come through Easter, resurrection from the dead. And resurrection is the hope of every Christian. Resurrection from the dead. What is next? There's people that have claimed to have died, gone to heaven, come back. Some have written about it, best-selling books, interesting books. What is next? Jesus, when he was resurrected, he had a different body. I mean, it was similar to the one that he had first, and people could recognize him. The scars were there, nail prints, the, the spear were the same, but there were differences. There was one, actually two, occasions where the disciples, they're, they're huddled in a room. The doors are locked because they're afraid. So they're in a locked room. And then Jesus just, he shows up. There he is. Twice. And you think about it, it's like, wow. That would be kind of cool. I, I wonder what kind of body, you know, he didn't need to have an unlocked door to come into a place. And what, what kind of bodies are we going to have? What, what God, what's God going to be like? You know, more in-person kind of a thing. Well, what's that going to be like? What's, what's heaven going to be like? And we have these questions, and human nature really hasn't changed because even Moses had some of these questions and, and wonderings. He wanted to, to see God B- beyond the pillar of fire and beyond the pillar of cloud. He wanted to... To see him. Referencing the passage that was just read, God says, okay, I want you to lead my people. Moses said, well, yes, but who's going to go with me? God said, my presence will go with you. Moses said, good, this is in, I think, verse 14. Good, if your presence doesn't go with us, it's best we not go. It's your presence that's going to distinguish us from all other people On earth. And God said, I'll do exactly what you said because I am pleased with you. And you get this sense that they've got this real close relationship. And then Moses gets real specific. Now, now just try to imagine it. Okay, and it's really good just in terms of Bible reading. Put yourself in the place of the people that you're reading about. So pretend you're there and Moses hears God saying, My 
presence is going to be with you. God is a spirit, right? Meaning he's invisible, right? That's how we experience him today. That's how he was for Moses. Okay? My presence is going to be with you. Okay? God, help me out. Can I, can I see you? Can, can I see you in your glory? His, his request to, to see God in His glory is, is this sense, God, I, can, can I see you in a more tangible way? Can, can I see face to face? Can I see your face? I like the way Moses thinks. I like his question, and I relate to that. I'm guessing you would like to see God more, you know, face to face, using your, like your regular eyes. God replies to Moses, Moses, you can't see me. And Moses, it's, it's, it's not about you, okay? Actually, no one can see me, can see me in all my glory and live. Every once in a while, if we see something that is just stunningly beautiful, Say you see a, a, a sunset, and it just, sometimes we use this phrase, it is so beautiful, it just takes your breath away. What if there is something in that that is, is literally true? If we saw God in his glory, it would take your breath away. You can't see me, God, and live. You don't have a more durable resurrection body. You know, that, that's going to take an, an upgrade that you have to wait for. So God thinks out of Moses' box and he says, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you see my goodness. If there's a difference between the two requests, it, and it's hard for me to exactly, you know, I'm reading Moses is asking to see what God looks like, and God replies, I'll, I'll show you who I am, my character. And there is some difference in that where we can handle seeing incredible goodness. It's interesting, when God picks one character trait that he's going to reveal, you know, his presence, he picks goodness. They pick one thing. I'm going to let my goodness pass in front of you. God is a good God. Just, just a very, very good God. I think of that. Okay, God, God's presence goes with Moses. He wants something a bit, a bit more tangible. How do you see a character trait? How do you see goodness? You know, I could, could you take a picture of it? Today we're going to be talking about heaven. We're going to be talking about God. And if, and if we don't think out of the box, think bigger thoughts, maybe unique thoughts, maybe things that are a little bit strange and puzzling, we're going to miss 
some things about God in heaven. Could you even see a character trait? In one of these many books, we're going to reference different, different things. In Dr. Mary Neal's best-selling book, To Heaven and Back, Mary, she's an orthopedic surgeon. She was in a kayaking accident. She drowned. When she describes the spiritual beings that she saw, she put it this way. Their presence engulfed all of my senses as though I could see, hear, feel, smell, and taste them all at once. Their brilliance was both blinding and invigorating. We did not speak per se using our mouths, but easily communicated in a very pure form. We simultaneously communicated our thoughts and emotions and understood each other perfectly, even though we did not use language. And a feeling of absolute love was palpable. And the word palpable means that it can be touched or felt that it was something obvious. In Dr. Neal's experience, communication didn't happen in a typical fashion and something like a character trait like love was, was tangible. Something about God's goodness was, was tangible. It's not described at all, but there's something tangible about God's goodness. And Moses sees that, and a little, a little bit later we find that, that he just glows. He radiates. There's, there's light something coming from him because he saw God's goodness. He saw God from behind. Now let's, this is the first big jump, but just a different, a different book altogether in the Bible, different scenario. Go to a New Testament book, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and an experience that Paul had. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul has this experience of being taken up to the third heaven. Not to imply that there's, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, you know, multiple heavens, but it's a way of expressing how, how lofty and joyful, happy, holy, how grand this place is. He's taken up into the third heaven. Verse 4, he calls this third heaven paradise. Um, if, if you're taking notes, there's some other verses that reference heaven, they reference paradise, they reference being with God, being with Jesus, and if you want to jot these down, they, there's overlap, cross-referencing things. In one reference in Revelation 2.7, it reads, He who has an ear, let him hear. So it's like, pay attention to what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, it's the person who stays faithful to Christ to the very end, the person who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Paul was taken up into the third heaven, into paradise, and he said it was so, the, the things that he heard while he was there, he, there wasn't even language to describe it. And that's part of the Christian hope. Heaven, paradise, that is just beyond words to describe. Another jump, another experience, Lou Amundsen. 
had had an experience. Come on up, Lou. Lou is a part of our church, Lou and Madeline Amundsen, and Lou is a flight paramedic. He's He's been a, a lead pastor in a church before. He had an experience on, in the context of open heart surgery, an experience on July 22nd, 2010. Uh, Lou, share what you saw, what your experience was. Well, some of you might remember that <clears throat> point in time. I, I sure do. I went to bed early on the 21st because supposed to get up about 4 o'clock in the morning on the 22nd and go fishing down on the Kenai with Pastor Mark. But I was rudely awakened at about 2 o'clock in the morning with crushing substernal chest pain that was running down my left arm. Uh, I identified it rather quickly, and my wife asked what to do. I said, call an ambulance. So the ambulance came, and the long story short, before the day was out, I was to have emergent open-heart surgery and receive a seven-vessel coronary artery bypass. They were trying to calm the chest pain with all the medicines that they do, but it didn't seem to work. The chest pain would start to go away, and then it would come back even more. And when they had determined it was an emergent situation, uh, they said, we're going to go in right away. And Pastor Keith was there. He prayed with me and prayed with my family. And it was at that point in time <clears throat> that I was next to 100% certain that the Lord was calling me home. I didn't think I was going to make it to the operating table. I had a feeling of impending doom that was not necessarily overwhelming because the Lord had given me such a peace about it. I tried explaining it to my family, but I couldn't get the words out, probably with the drugs that they had me on. So I just prayed, Lord, if, if this is our time, then let's do it. Then the anesthesiologist took me into the operating room. Uh, I was in the operating room, remember a few last words with him, and then w went to sleep. And my next recollection um, was something I never could have imagined at all. I was in the most pleasant place that I've ever experienced. It was perfect temperature, perfect light, perfect air. Everything was intense, and it was just awesome. It was like a, a never-ending pasture of green under a giant tree of shade that just, everything just felt perfect. And as I was observing that for just moments, then I heard a voice, and it was the voice of my mother. And she just said, Son? My mother had passed away eight years before. As I turned to look, I could see her and a host of my loved ones who had all passed on. But they all had their back to me. They were all facing the other direction. I tried to speak, but no words would come out. It was total silence. I couldn't speak. And then my brother-in-law, who passed on the same year as my mother, he kind of turned his head toward the side and said, Butch, what are you doing here? And I tried to answer him. Again, no words would come out. And then I turned in, in confusion, wondering what was going on, and then all of a sudden things started to fade. And then reality came back as I was extubated and woke up in the critical care unit.
But the reality of this experience was more than I could ever imagine. It was not a dream, but a sense of reality that really can't be expressed. It was so profound that it took me several weeks after the surgery to even speak about it to my loved ones and to my family. And I finally realized that perhaps the Lord had given me the privilege of maybe going to the edge of paradise to see what it might be. The only thing that was missing or the only person who was missing was the Lord. But I think had the Lord been there, then my number would have been punched. Lou, I I know when we were talking, you said that it was, in terms of how real it was, that it was even more real than you and I just standing right here. This is obviously real. It was even more real than that. There's a a reality factor. I don't know how to explain it. Uh, It just encompasses all of your senses, even to the point where, you know, as you as you pointed out from that book, that you can communicate without speaking. It's just a heightened awareness that I can't explain. Any any concluding thoughts? The only thought I had that uh, from that is that perhaps when I do go, or when we do go, that if it's a situation like that, that the Lord would be in the middle of that group, and they wouldn't have their backs to us. They'd have their face to us. Because then we would, as the Scriptures say, we would be at home with the Lord and absent from this body. Because at that point in time when those things would have happened, my body wasn't functioning normally. My heart wasn't beating because they stop your heart for several hours while they fix it. Your lungs don't breathe. They deflate those, push them out of the way so they have room to work on your heart. And they got a machine that circulates your blood and oxygenates it. So my heart was stopped. There's a definition that they have in the medical terms. Clinical death is the absence of a pulse and breathing. I'm not sure. But... I believe that one day that that when that does happen, that the Lord will be there and I'll see him first and foremost and he'll welcome me home and the others will also be there. Thank you. There's other people that have had experiences when their life hung in the balance. Colton Burpo, when he was three years, ten months old, had surgery. During the surgery, he experienced going to heaven. He writes a lot of stuff in the books. Among the things he wrote is, in heaven, nobody's old and no one wears glasses. Uh, The the most interesting thing I found in the book, he said that the, the Jesus that he saw matched the description of a painting he saw by the, the, the girl that you see in the other book, uh, Akian Cremeres. Akian also claims to have had visions of going to heaven, seeing God, uh, even when she was four years old. And yet when she was uh, eight years old, she painted this uh, picture of Jesus. And when Colton saw this picture, he said that that's the same Jesus that I saw when he had his experience. And, and then also in uh, Akian's book, she says it's written hundreds of people from all over the world wrote to Akian saying that when they were shown this 
uh, portrait. It was the exact portrait that they had had during their dreams. It, it's interesting to note that, that both Colton and Akion are, they're just children. Um, Akion um, lost four baby teeth when she was doing this painting. Just, just, it's the sense in which they're not out to try to prove anything. They're just saying, this, this is what happened to me. The, the most interesting book that intrigued me was uh, Dr. Evan Alexander's book, Proof of Heaven. Uh, Dr. Alexander was and still is a neurosurgeon. And in 19, or excuse me, 2008, he was struck with a rare illness and left in a coma for seven days. During that time, his entire neocortex, it's the outer surface of the brain, that essentially the part that makes us, us human, was not working. It was absent. It was inoperative. And yet, in spite of having a brain that didn't work, he had an experience of being with God, of, of being in heaven. And among the things that he writes, he's got a whole book, he, there's a couple little things that he writes about. He says, love and compassion are far more than abstractions many of us believe them to be. They are real. They are concrete. Again, we're talking about character quality, love and, what was it, compassion. They're concrete. And they make up the very fabric of the spiritual realm. He also wrote, one of the biggest mistakes people make when they think about God is to imagine God as impersonal. God understands, he sympathizes with our human situation more profoundly and personally than we can ever imagine. Another place he writes, none of us are ever unloved. Each and every one of us is deeply known and cared for by a creator who cherishes us beyond any ability we have to comprehend. That's his, that was his experience. Dr. Alan, uh, Dr. Alexander writes to the scientist, he writes to the skeptic, and I use the word skeptic in the best sense of the word. I tend to be skeptical at times, having doubts and questions, seeking answers, and that is a good skepticism to look for answers Soren Kierkegaard said this, there's two ways to be fooled. One is to believe what isn't true. The other is to refuse to believe what is true. Dr. Alexander writes, the part of my brain that years of medical school taught me was responsible for creating the world that I live and move in. That part of my brain was, it was down and out. And yet, despite all this, I had been alive and aware, truly aware, in a universe characterized above all by love and consciousness and reality. What I experienced was more real than the house I sat in. And yet there was no room for that reality in the medically trained scientific worldview that I spent years acquiring. If, if you're of a mindset that science and spiritual things are incompatible, Dr. Alexander would say, you're mistaken. He's still a scientist and he embraces God and heaven in a big way.
what are we to make of, of all these, these best-selling books? I'm, I'm not wholeheartedly endorsing actually any one of them. Some thoughts. There is only one inspired, God-breathed, perfect book. It's the Bible. Okay? All other books, as, as wonderful as they are, we need to use discernment, judgment when we're reading them. Good critical thinking skills when you're reading any of these books that we just flashed on the, on the screen. A second thought. Just be careful how much weight you put on experience. I remember a Bible teacher telling me years ago, if you're just looking for an experience, the devil can give you an experience. Right? See, it's not over with an experience. You still have to interpret and understand what's the takeaway. What am I to make from this experience? There again, discernment. A third thought on this is just consider the author. Is it a child? They'll have a childlike perspective. Is it a scientist? Is it somebody who has a Christian background before their experience and, and they'll have that orientation? They're going to write that way and just know that. Another thing to consider, it, just expect that you're going to read things that are hard to understand. Every one of them is saying that they search for language, for vocabulary, for words that try to explain what they saw, what they experienced, and they're lacking. One person said it's like trying to describe their experience with half the alphabet. If you have half the alphabet, how are you going to do it? You'll do it imperfectly at best. But they write a book anyway. So just, and, the, and, the, and the last comment is God can do what he wants. <laughs> And he reveals himself, sometimes in dreams and visions, he reveals himself to believers, to unbelievers, draws people to himself. God can do what he wants, you know, within his character. One, one final vision, just a, a, another jump, but pr probably the biggest vision we have of heaven is in the book of Revelation, the Revelation of John. And actually there's quite a bit in that book about heaven Oh, you can read, there's stuff about, a, there, there's a fancy throne there, and there's lightning that's coming from the throne. There, there's a sea that's like glass, and there's creatures there, and they got eyes all over the place, and they got all kinds of different wings, and I like things with wings. Um, there, there is gold that is so commonplace, they put it down like asphalt. Um, lots of symbolism. There's lots of jewels and fancy things there. There's angels. There's a dragon. Dragon ends up getting kicked out. But God's, God's glory lights the place up. Um, nothing impure is there. There's all kinds of descriptions of what heaven is like. And yet that is all kind of woven into a larger plot where God says, I'm coming back. And sin and evil is going to be judged. Righteousness is going to be rewarded. And people that love the Lord are going to be back with, with Christ. 
And it ends with an expectation of looking for Christ's return, anticipating that. Just a different train of thought on some of this. It's interesting, if it weren't for the book of Revelation, we would know next to nothing about heaven from the other 65 books of the Bible. (laughs) Next to nothing. And even now that we have the book of Revelation, we have, say, a pamphlet worth. How come? In a way, this stuff about heaven, as interesting as it is, is not that high a priority on God's scale for us to know a whole lot about. It's interesting, but we don't need to know a whole lot. You go back to our example with Moses. I was hoping I could say some more. Here he says he sees God's goodness pass in front of him. There's something at least tangible enough that his face ends up glowing and light and all that kind of stuff. It's like, okay, Moses, tell us more. What was it like when even from behind you saw God? Nothing. He doesn't say anything. He just goes on to the next part in the passage talking about the Ten Commandments. I guess we need that. (laughs) We don't need to know more about his experience because it's not there. The other one I referenced, Paul, taken up into the third heaven and paradise, and that's even more sketchy. He says nothing about what he saw. Zip. And even what he heard, granted it said that you know there wasn't language to describe what he heard, but it also says he wasn't permitted to share even what he heard. It's a unique experience. So we can can still learn from Moses. We can learn God is is a good God and he's present with us like he's present with Moses. We can learn from Paul's experience that that there there is a heaven, there is a paradise, it's going to be wonderful. Okay, maybe that's about it. Revelation. Now there we could glean more if we had all kinds of time. We could glean more things. But even that is, as interesting as that is, that's just a subplot to the main thing. The main thing is God's got his plans and he's coming back. And his plans trump all other plans. They, 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 they trump plans of, we read about dictators in the news and they trump those plans and they trump, trump political plans and they trump personal plans. God's got an agenda for history and he's coming back. And the main theme of Revelation is live as he's Lord of your life and prepare for his coming back. As interesting as all these things are, don't get sidetracked on a subplot. Here's my concluding takeaways. Home away from home. Our ultimate home. It's heaven. Absolutely. And it's going to be paradise. However we want to describe it, knowing it's paradise is, is good enough for me. It's going to be phenomenal with God. 
Second thing, this, this world is far more than matter and molecules. And if, and if your frame of reference for the reality is just confined to atoms and, and matter in that way, it is so, it's such a narrow view. There, there's a lot more. If, if you're jotting down verses, that, that the, the one on uh, 2 Corinthians 4.18 especially is a, is a real neat verse on this. Third, this life is definitely not the end. It is barely the beginning. If you're writing down, I'm going to another slide, sorry. <laughs> it's written down somewhere else. In, in, in our temporary home, where we are now, let, let's live for and love this very, very good God. Heaven, being with God, that's going to come soon enough for us all. Amen. Pray with me.